I love the word integrity and all that it means. And uh, one of the best books that I have read in regards to business and life and relationships is a book called Integrity by Henry Cloud. If you are a reader, that would be right at the top of your list if I were you. Um, and and it's, it's, it's probably one of the better reads that I've had in a long time. I read it many years ago, but it's still just a great, just a great uh, a book. So I just a little disclaimer here. So there's a lot of application in what we're going to learn today. But there's going to be a portion of it that gets a little academic. In other words, it's like you, I think it's like you need these pieces of the puzzle to be able to see the picture. So, so be, bear with me just a little bit as we kind of get a little bit more nitty-gritty. But um, uh, th- this, this topic today, so this is the fifth week in a series, uh, which is a longer series for us. But we're talking about Job and what, and what he went through called pieces. And today's idea is, is how to maintain integrity in the midst of suffering. Like, how do you not get mad at God? How do you not speak things that you would regret? Or how do you, how do you not have your faith shaken in the midst of trials? And so that's kind of the direction that we're going today. But we need to lay some foundation for that uh, as we get into it, we will. But that's, I think that's kind of an idea of what I'm looking to, to get across to you. Because I know that it, someone has said, you're either coming out of a storm or in a storm or you're going into a storm. That's your encouragement for the day. All right? But that's, that's, that's life. And so in those storms, what happens in our relationship with the Lord is so critical, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's at your job, whether it's your health, whether it's a loved one, whether it's a child, whatever storm you're in, what happens to your faith? How do you maintain your faith and your spiritual integrity in suffering? The word integrity appears four times in the book of Job. I'm going to give you a couple of them, and then today's text verse is in Job 27. If you want to go ahead and grab your phones or your Bibles and turn to Job 27. The first time the word integrity appears in Job, and I don't actually have these on the screen, but this is the Lord speaking to Satan in chapter 2. This is the second time Satan has come to God to talk about Job. And he says, and Satan says, uh, the Lord says this to Satan, there is none like him, Job in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one who fears God and eschews evil. And still he holds fast his integrity. And then later in that same chapter, you remember the story of Job's wife after everything had been taken away from them, including their 10 children, everything they owned, all of their wealth, their status, and now Job's health. Job's wife comes to him and says, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. And then we read a little bit last week about his less, two weeks ago, about his less than helpful friends, right? They, they did really good for like seven days because they didn't say nothing. <laughs> and then they spend like 20 some chapters telling Job what he did wrong and all the causes of his problems. And he says this to them in, in verse uh, 6 of chapter 31. Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. I'm not even sure I would be willing to say that. Because I know me too well. The Hebrew word for integrity is the word tom. And not to get too 
too complicated, but the, the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, we, the, the versions that we have of it go back to the Hebrew language. And so we have to be able to take the Hebrew language from thousands of years ago and translate that into what we read and understand. And, uh, and so sometimes going back to what that Hebrew word meant helps us see things a little bit differently because we can only, we can only explain what the word integrity means according to what we are familiar with. But when you go back and you see what it was in Hebrew, sometimes it kind of blows it open and, and uh, expands it a little bit. If you love Bible study, there's a Bible out there called the Amplified Bible. And the Amplified Bible takes the meanings of the original words and kind of amplifies it. And so it's a little bit longer text, but it kind of gives you the different variations of particular words, and I enjoy using that in my study. But the word tom in the Hebrew means something to the effect of uncomplicated or morally innocent and upright. I love the idea of uncomplicated, like it is what it is. Right? Don't complicate it. It, it, it. God is who he is. He's doing what he's doing. No need to complicate it. If you look at how we began to use the word integrity, it shows up the first time in the 14th century um, AD. And, uh, it, and it actually comes from the word integer. And if you are a math scholar or you remember those terms from high school and you just broke out into cold sweats, an integer is a whole number. It's, it's something that is like a one or a four or whatever, like it's a whole number that's not been broken down into fractions. So you understand the idea of wholeness and completeness. So when you look at what the Webster's Dictionary is for integrity in our language today, it is firmly adhering to moral principles. But you can see how it means so much more than that. Like when you begin to look at where this word came from, and so when Job says, I'm willing to stand before God on the integrity that I've shown, and then you have God telling Satan, look at Job standing his integrity, all of a sudden it means something much bigger. And it's, it's like all of a sudden you're watching color TV for the first time. Because it's no longer just this two-dimensional black and white image. It's like, wow, this is... There's a lot to this word integrity. So with all of that, let's see where our text is today in in Job chapter 27, starting in verse 2. We're going to read four or five verses here. And this is Job, again, responding to his friends. But I want to to highlight the word integrity that he uses here. So he says this, as God lives, and and then here's how he describes God, who has taken away my judgment and the Almighty who has vexed my soul. So I'm just going to let you know right now what's going on in my life. So, so as long as God lives, you know, the guy that's really been giving me a hard time lately. All the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips shall not speak wickedness nor my tongue utter deceit. God forbid that I should justify you. In other words, I don't want to give any credibility to what you have been saying to me. You've told me I'm a sinner. You've told me I'm a hypocrite. you told me I mock God. I'm telling you, I'm not even going to respond to those. I'm not even going to give any credibility to that. That's what means when he says that I am not going to try to justify anything that you're saying. Then he says this, till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. Job was not a fair-weather Christian. Job stuck 
to his faith. But what's not unusual, what should not be surprising, is what you read about Job in chapter 1 before all of his trials began. This is consistent with how he behaved before the trials came. And there's a hint as to where we're going. So in the midst of his big feasts with his children, he was giving offerings to the Lord. He was actively participating in his faith when things were going well. And so it was not a stretch for him to hold on to his faith when things were going poorly. So remember back in chapter 1, the reason Satan is doing all of this to Job is to prove to God that Job loves and serves God only because God's been so good to him. And so in chapter 1, we see that God gives Satan permission to remove all that made up Job's life. His kids, his crops, his animals, everything that made him wealthy. And then in chapter 2, Satan comes back to God and, and he is now allowed to afflict Job physically. So what, what, he's, what Satan is trying to tell God is that Job's treasure and love is what he owns, not God. And then in chapter 2, he's trying to convince God that Job's health is more important to him than God because that's a big lesson because whatever it takes for you to compromise your relationship with God is what you love more than God. So whatever God could take away from you that would cause you to doubt his love, you might love that more than you love God. So Satan's aim was to destroy Job's joy or Job's faith or Job's trust in God. But it wasn't that he really had it out for Job. The purpose of that was to belittle God. And so Job, Satan was doing all of this to Job to get to God. I heard recently that Satan is a roaring lion, the Bible teaches us, roaming about seeking whom he may devour, but he's on a leash. And God can yank that chain anytime he wants to. And that's what we see Satan doing to Job right here, but God's got a hold of the leash. So what do we do with our suffering in regards to our faith? And what do we do with our faith in regards to what we're going through? Tim Keller said this, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. So as you're going through what you're going through, don't feel like, well, hey, this is only for two weeks or this sorrow will be gone in six months and then I can get back to normal. I hate to break it to you, but you're going to have a new normal because you're going to go through what you're going to go through and it should change who you are fundamentally. And so when you get on the other end of that, don't look at this as some unfortunate situation you had to go through. Look at it as the potential life changer that you've needed because it's not an interruption. It's a meaningful part of life. 
which takes me to the first big point here, and that is that Satan wants to destroy our joy in God. And once again, you can substitute joy with, with uh, delight or trust or faith, but Satan's goal is to try and destroy that relationship that we have with the Lord. And, and this is where I wanted to kind of go today. This is the big thing. So there are two battlefields for this. There are two battlefields for your joy or your faith or your trust, and that is the battlefield of pain and then the battlefield of pleasure. Because in a different way, our faith is challenged in either one of these arenas. Let's, let's deal with pain first. So, so in pain, Satan can use pain to make us feel that God is powerless and hostile. Like, like if God, God must not be able to change my circumstances or else he would if he really loved me. Or if God really does love me, then why doesn't he change my circumstance? It must be because he is not loving like I thought he was. And so Satan has the ability to mess with our brain and make us feel like, well, you know, God is not as powerful as I thought or else that tsunami would not have happened or the death of that person would not have happened or that car accident or my job loss or whatever. But keep in mind that God's purpose in pain is trust. Just trust me in this. Whereas Satan's purpose in pain is to cause doubt. So let me just ask you this. This is a great litmus test. How are you feeling right now? Like if you are feeling more doubt, that's not the purpose. That's not God's purpose in this. If you're feeling trust, like God's got this, like I'm going to make this, what is God trying to teach me? There's something valuable we are supposed to learn as a couple through this difficult time. There is something as a parent I need to learn because of the difficulties I'm experiencing with my children. I can become a better employee because of this. What is God trying to teach me? I still maintain my faith. I maintain the integrity and I understand the goodness of God even if I don't understand what's happening here. That is God's purpose in suffering. The second battlefield is pleasure. And if Satan has his way, he's going to try to make it to where we feel like God is unnecessary. <laughs> How are we doing? Like everything's going great in my life. My car's running fine. I'm making enough money to pay the bills. Things are going really well right now. How's your relationship with the Lord in the middle of all of this? Right? Everything's going great. So I don't need to spend time with the Lord. He's unnecessary in my life right now. I feel like I need to wash my mouth out after even saying that. But that's how we get. So what I'm saying is, do you see how pleasure can be a battlefield for our faith in God? It's one thing to say, yeah, I can understand somebody going through suffering and pain, that they're doubting and they're, yeah, yeah but how about when we're going through pleasure? When we don't have the pain, how we doing? God's purpose for pleasure is gratitude. As we are going through our life every day, thanking God for his goodness to us, thanking God for his provision, thanking God. And let me tell you, it makes a big difference. And then on the other hand, how Satan wants to use pleasure in your life is complete self-reliance. It's like we just forget about God. 
We go to work, we get a paycheck, we pay our bills, we live well, everything's wonderful. We just feel like everything's going great, and so we stop spending so much time with God. But let me tell you, let something bad happen. Why, God, are you doing this to me? All of a sudden, the conversation changes. So there's two battlefields, pain and pleasure. And both of them can be equally damaging to your relationship with the Lord. I would even say this, that whether you're in pain this morning or whether you are experiencing pleasure this morning, Satan is after you. And I'm not trying to scare you because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But wherever you are in life, how about checking yourself? Where's my level of gratitude? Where's my level of trust in what God is doing? And it's not like we have to thank God in order for bad things not to happen. That's called life. And just because you are walking with the Lord and you're grateful when things are going well doesn't mean the bad things aren't going to happen. I'm just saying that if you're grateful and you're expressing gratitude during the times of pleasure, when the times of pain come, you don't struggle with the doubt because you already have an established relationship with the Lord. And it doesn't shake that. That's, what, that's the integrity that we see in Job. It would have been difficult for Job to say, I'm standing in my integrity when he lived like the devil all during his pleasure. But instead, we see in his pleasure, he was honoring God and worshiping God and doing what he was supposed to do in order to be able to show gratitude to God when he had everything going so smoothly in his life. Then when everything started going bad in his life, it wasn't a far stretch for him to bow down and worship God. It wasn't a stretch for him to say, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because that's what he did during times of pleasure as well. So yeah. Satan wants to destroy your joy in God. And God wants to increase his worth in our lives. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, and I don't subscribe to everything he says, but he said this, God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along, I love this so much, the best and straightest paths to himself. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, the purpose of it is to make this, the, the easiest way to get to him. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, God. You love me. You, you want me. And so whether I'm experiencing pain or whether I'm experiencing blessing and pleasure, it's a path to you. And help me to use it that way. God's worth in our lives, specifically when we are going through difficult times, is such a beautiful way to show other people what God means to us. For someone to go through a difficult trial, and in the midst of that trial, be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, is a beautiful way to show this world the worth of the relationship that you have with God. This is my good friend, Kevin, and his wife, Paula. We've been friends for over 30 years in ministry. He and I worked at a church in, in Texas, which is right near Dallas. <laughs> One of the best Christians I've ever met in my life. And uh, this, is, this is his family. So he's got four boys. Before they had any of those four boys, 
they had Candace. And Candace was the firstborn. But you notice Candace was missing from the photo. This is Candace, about four years old. And uh, Paula had a friend named Dawn. Dawn had a couple kids, and Paula would babysit the kids at home. And so every day, Dawn would come to the house and drop off her children, and Paula would watch them all day and then come back after work and pick the kids up. And, of course, Dawn and Paula were great friends. One day, Dawn came to pick up their kids, and her and Dawn were talking, and Candace was out playing, and, and Paula told Candace, it's time to go inside, Miss Dawn's about to leave. And so Candace goes inside. And Paula and Dawn talked a little bit more, and uh, Dawn said goodbye, and Dawn got in her car, and as Dawn was backing out of her driveway, she felt the bump. And uh, without them knowing about it, Candace had gotten outside and was run over by one of Paula's best friends. And they tried to do CPR. They tried, I mean, can you imagine how frantic they were trying desperately to save their daughter? And they rushed her to the hospital and she passed away. And the moment she passed away, Paul and Kevin looked around and said, where's Dawn? And they left the hospital and went to Dawn's house to minister to Dawn, who had just run over their daughter. And through all of this, and through the funeral, and, and she's been in heaven for 25 years now. And she would have been in that picture and would have been the oldest sister. And through all of I mean, in the moment, like in the middle of all of that, I'm not saying they were praising Jesus, but their faith held strong. And the integrity of what they said they had was evident to everybody. Because in the midst of suffering, when we maintain our integrity in our relationship with the Lord, it just shows what's already in there. And it becomes this incredible testimony of what God can do when somebody's faith holds strong. And so I'll say this, that suffering can cause us to interact and press into the Lord and know him in a deeper way that we never would have before. Because I'm telling you, what else are you going to do? I love what Tony Evans said when he went through a dark time. He said, yeah, he said, you can walk away from God, but you still got your problem. Times of suffering are moments for us to press in and interact with God even more and get to know him in a deeper way. Because I'm telling you this, you will learn about God things that you never knew about God only in the battlefield of pain. And I'll say it again, you will have a new normal. I know when both of my parents passed away in a short period of time, I think one of the biggest realizations that I have, and you know, it's, it's funny, you still want to call your dad. It's been 11, 12 years. 
And I still think, I wonder what my dad would think. Because he had the ability, right, to see right through all of the fluff and tell me I was being selfish or whatever needed. He hardly had anything negative to say about me. (laughs) But it's like, I remember the, the overwhelming feeling like, like I feel older. And if you've lost a mom or a dad, I think you might know how I feel. Because there wasn't anybody over top of me anymore. There wasn't like that umbrella of authority. There wasn't like my dad. So I felt older. And I felt lonely. And that became my new normal. And God grew me into it. Like God helped me through that. I grew up because I didn't have, I wasn't a kid anymore. It's funny, I was like, you know, 40, right? And now I feel like I've kind of grown into that and I have a new normal and I've learned things about myself that I would not have learned otherwise. And that's what suffering, that's what pain does you, but that's also what pleasure can do. I love this statement. God always works for our good and his glory. Satan's goal is to hurt God by hurting us. He wants to ruin our joy, our trust, our faith, our love in God. And if he can do that to you, he knows he has hurt God. Whereas God's goal for your life is to make you more like Jesus, not to make you more comfortable. We dispelled a lot of, you know, um, myths about a year and a half ago. We, We did a series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And one of, the, one of the myths that we like to believe is that God wants me happy. That's nowhere in Scripture. That's in your head. You put it in Scripture pretending that it was there, but it's not there. Okay? That's not, that's, God is not as interested in your happiness as you think he is. I'm not saying he wants you miserable. But his goal is to make us like Jesus. And sometimes that is uncomfortable. So let me, let me shut this down with a couple of, of uh, implications from these two truths. The first implication is that what you really need are answers. I mean, so, uh, what you really need is God, not answers. We don't need answers, we need God. It says in Psalms 63 verse 3, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. And so here's what that's teaching me. That if, if I have a genuine love of God and I have felt the love of God experientially, like in this world, in ways that are hard to describe, if I've really felt and experienced the love of God in my life and I really believe that, that feeling his love and understanding it to some extent is better than life, as the psalmist said. Then when we lose whatever else, when we lose our life, or when we lose things connected to our life, it doesn't change that. It doesn't change what we know God feels toward us. We don't need answers, we need God. Second implication, allow both pain and pleasure to bring you closer to God. Absolutely grieve. In fact, grieve as much in sorrow 
as you rejoice in pleasure. Like, grieve as much as is needed. But let both of them bring you closer to God. And then the final implication is, through it all, trust the goodness of God. In your pleasure, when things seem to be going well, when you have <laughs> paycheck left at the end of all the bills, wow, that's a great feeling. When the car actually runs well, when the kids seem happy, when you and your wife enjoy a great date night, when your boss pats you on the back and says thank you after you pick yourself up off the ground, thank God. Like, Enjoy this life. Thank God for it. We like to blame the devil for all the bad things that happen in our life. And yeah, so there may be something there. But sometimes we're just stupid. And things happen to stupid people. It's kind of fun, funny how that happens, right? When you do stupid things in stupid places at stupid times of day with stupid people, don't be surprised when stupid stuff happens to you. So some of the stupidity that we experience in life is our own fault, right? But we like to blame, well, we, you know, it's, it's, it's the president keeping me from getting a job, or I'm not even going any further there. <laughs> but it's like we like to blame the political climate for the condition of our country. We like to blame people for the bad things that are happening in our life. And there may be some merit there. I'm not, I'm not saying that... All of that should be dismissed. But what I am saying is like, if we are focused on the Lord and we really relish in this relationship, then all of these things become peripheral. Like, yeah, I'm not saying they're not important and I'm not saying we shouldn't be active and I'm not saying that we shouldn't address problems. I'm just saying that our emotions and our, and our security and our well-being does not rise and fall upon who is elected. It doesn't rise and fall about whether or not I'm in the hospital or out of the hospital. It's solid. There is integrity to my faith because I have a genuine relationship with my creator in the good times as well as the bad times. So I'll leave you with this encouraging word I read this week. No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. Okay? You're welcome. <laughs> Let's rejoice. But that's reality. Okay? So, so if you're in the middle of that, hang on to your faith. Know the goodness of God, enjoy that relationship, and become a better version of yourself at the end of all of this so that something good comes out of it. If you know this is going to happen, if you know this is coming, something is going to happen to ruin it, then work on your relationship with the Lord with gratitude so that when that does happen, it's like a little blip on the screen. It's a ripple in the ocean because you are solid and you have integrity in your faith and your joy 
and your relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Job, but thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And I don't know everyone's story. I never could. But you are, you are fixed and you are riveted on our lives, every aspect of it, from our health to our relationships to our status. And help us to cling to you. Help us to taste the love that is better than life. And help us to maintain our integrity in the pain and the pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.